Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 159 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clay and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode today, and with me, as usual, is my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? How much? I'm on the clock, like literally as we hit the record button. The <laughs> Luckily, the Fantra- the new Fantrax draft room, the horn isn't there. It's kind of like a, a nice, pleasant noise when you get on the clock. So Don't, don't you kind of miss it, though? Like deep down in your subconscious, don't you miss the obnoxiously loud air horn going off in the most random places? I'm not sure I'd want it in my headphones right now, though. It probably would have <laughs> panicked a little bit. So, but yeah, I mean, it's much more peaceful and calm. So, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm drafting a DC. I'm in a, a dynasty mock draft. I'm not the biggest mock draft person, but I'm in a mock draft, so that's fun. I'm kind of battle testing some some dynasty rankings doing that. So. Good. Getting fully back in the swing. We had a pretty crazy like first day of free agency and like nothing happened. So right. I, I'm kind of hoping we get some more news soon and stuff stuff going down because it was fun. I don't even remember what day it was, but now it's kind of been a couple of days of, of not much happening. So I'm, I'm ready for some big signings and trades. Me too. I mean, like, like we were saying before we came on the air, like Jeff Passan has not tweeted in two days. Like, you know, it's dead zone when Jeff Passan's not tweeting at all. Yep. But uh, yeah, I, I do miss the air horn though. Going back to that, because a, a funny memory I have of the air horns. My last job, they had a very open floor concept, and there's a big room, you know, multiple teams working at desks within the room. And I usually had my headphones on, plugged into my computer. I usually had like YouTube music playing in the background while I was doing my work. And I had also had a you know a best ball draft in the background as well. My other you know other browser and air horn goes off and about 40 people look at me because they could hear the air horn throughout half the room. It was just hilarious. Good old, good old air horn strikes again, (laughs) but we got a kind of like a mixed bag of stuff going on today in this episode. Like I said, it's kind of a, just a, you know, probably is is actually the weirdest month for fantasy content. I think is, you know, October, you're still like doing a lot of like recap stuff from the previous season. December, you know, gets closer to the season. Obviously, we'll have a lot of our dynasty rankings episodes in December. But November's is kind of like you get a hodgepodge of whatever stuff pops up or whatever stuff pops into, into our head. So we'll go over a little bit of you know news and notes from, from the moves that happened earlier this week. Look at some steamer projections, a lot of fun stuff. But before we do, let's get the usual housekeeping out of the way. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm at EricCross04 and our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of video throughout the offseason and into 2023. And of course, check out all the other great stuff that we have going on over at Fantrax and Fantrax HQ. You can get your best ball fix going on here. A lot of fun stuff, so check that out as well. All right. Where are we starting off today, Chris? Oh, of course, Mr. Bryce Harper. Finally undergoing elbow surgery. Actually, not yet. Next week. I don't know why you have to wait another week, which just seems kind of counterproductive. But anyway, you know, I'm not the doctor. I'm not the player. So whatever. But Harper, and this is, we all kind of thought this is going to happen at some point, right? You know, he's been battling that injury for, you know, what, at least a year or so now. And that forced him to play DH this year. So he'll be UT only in every fantasy league. Just, you know, BCR fan tracks, every. I don't think he played one single game in the outfield. So, 
even if you have five game eligibility, he's still going to be UT only to start the year. And when he, that start of the year is for him, who knows? I've seen anywhere from oh, he'll be back in mid to late April to he won't be playing until closer to July. So that kind of puts his value, especially in redraft leagues, up in flux. I saw Mike Curlin, our good buddy, Mr. Mike Curlin, post, I think it was yesterday, that he got him at pick, I think it was like 80, late 80s, early 90s or something like that. I think that's fair. But where are you feeling? Where would you become, Chris, in a redraft league? We'll start with redraft for Harper, taking Bryce Harper for 2023, given this injury news. Well, I I just don't think he's going to gain eligibility in the outfield. He did play eight games there last oh, year. Did he? So. Oh, did he? I thought he played zero. Okay. So if you play in Yahoo, he'll still be outfield eligible. If you're in a dynasty league that does like a five game, then he'll still have the outfield. But otherwise, he's going to be UT only. So surgery this coming week, it'll be well that date be the twenty third. Is that that correct? I think so. so yeah, I think, I think they said it was Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know exactly what it is, but if he has Tommy John, we'll say his worst case. Tommy John with hitters a little better. Otani had it and came back within seven months as a hitter. He did not throw the ball though, so like he he didn't play in the field any of that year. So seven months puts us. All of December, January, February, March, April, May, June. So he's looking like the very end of June to early July if it is seven months. And that seems like a a real best-case scenario. So you really have to bake that into your draft cost and like be confident in your ability because that's a high draft pick to know that you at least aren't going to get two months and maybe three, and who knows – if not more, we've seen kind of a mixed bag with hitters who have had Tommy John surgery, which I ultimately think he probably has. Like, just just have it, get the full reconstruction. Yeah. And I, I guess we'll see. Hopefully we'll find out on Wednesday. But honestly, like, he's just going to be completely off my board for redraft. I mean, he would have – I don't even know how far he'd have to fall for me to consider him. But because of the fact that I don't think he'll gain outfield, which really clogs – a spot if he's ut only plus just looking at the fact of who knows like how does one how does he return and two when does he return so for those reasons i'm out on him you just asked a lot of questions there that i don't think any of us have the answer to <laughs> nope. and that's and that's the thing i love bryce harper i'm what a probably one of the bigger bryce harper people around i've always been a big harper guy i think he's great for the game i've had him in a lot of fantasy leagues over the last decade tim and trout came up but yeah, and I have a lot of dynasty leagues too, including like my home keeper league. But I, I don't know. Again, you said you don't know where you'd be feel comfortable taking him. I don't know either. I don't know the answer to that question. I can't put a number on that, whether it be hundred, one fifty, whatever. But what I am pretty sure about is that whatever number is in my head that I come up with, he's going to go higher than that number. I, I'm yeah. pretty, I'm pretty confident in saying that. He even went uh, in the DC. He's still in the third round in the DC. Apparently, that person is not is nobody. At, I don't know who it is. I didn't recognize the name, but apparently that person's not too worried about Bryce Harper. But yeah, we should have more more news here in the next couple of days, middle of the week. They're still kind of not sure or they're not releasing, I should say, what exactly the surgery is going to be, whether it's TJS or some other variation of elbow reconstruction surgery. We'll see. But yeah, until I know that and get a more clear cut timetable on when he's going to be back, then maybe I can have a better idea but yeah he's pretty much off my board but for dynasty you know obviously i, I think it'll still be fine long term i think he's still what 29 years old is he 30 yet or no i don't think so i'll tell you in like two seconds he is 30 he turned 30 in mid-october oh, okay so man he is 30 now that and that's not old gets younger than i am but for baseball you should see that age the first number of the age go over to three it always and it's a mental thing. I don't know what, but and I, I still think he's going to have, you know, another few handful of years. Like, I don't see Harper being a guy that falls off quickly, you know, unless health gets in the way. And we're seeing that you know, it's gotten in the way in the past, getting in the way here. So we'll see. But, you know, I'm not sure if you if you have him in Dynasty Leagues, I'd hold on to him right now. And maybe, you know, let, let's say you can get him for like 90 cents on the doll, Chris. Would you be interested in doing that in Dynasty Leagues? You said for what? Well, get, get him for what? Like, 90 cents on the dollar. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I, in a dynasty league, you're talking about like a just totally different context. And 
maybe people will sell low on them, especially if you're concerned that you're not going to have it like immediately you're trying to win now. I probably would. I, I would just at least see I, if I was in a dynasty, I'd at least reach out and, and see what the person that rosters Harper wants for him. Yeah, I, I definitely kick the tires at least. Moving on here, another couple outfielders to talk about here. They're in the news. T. Oscar Hernandez went to Seattle for Eric Swanson and Adam Mako. What were your initial thoughts about Hernandez going to Seattle? I think the first thought is maybe a little bit less lesser lineup, even though that Seattle lineup is still pretty good. Maybe not as great of a ballpark, but I think people were making too much out of it. I like T. Oscar a good amount, but what, what were your thoughts on the, that trade? Well, at first glance, like I thought he when they said he was being traded, like I thought the package would be a lot better than it was. But I and I, I, mean, I think I'm guilty of it. I think we think in a fantasy mindset a lot, and my Twitter feed is mostly fantasy people. So it was I think that T Oscar provides more value from a fantasy perspective. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the reliever market's just insane. So the value on on Swanson was pretty valuable there. Plus, plus I like Mako as well. It's a weird trade. I think, especially for a contending team like the Blue Jays, but I think it says that they're going to go after Brandon Nemo type, and T. Oscar probably wasn't in their plans to re-sign. So then I guess it beckons the question of looking at him in Seattle, like is it going to hurt him? I don't really think so. I think that T. Oscar's power isn't that of a player that will be hurt by a ballpark. Looking at his expected home runs by park, it's actually much greater in Seattle than it was in Toronto, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, 31 home runs. That's I see a couple on here. Cincinnati's 35 to no shock. Milwaukee 33, <laughs> yeah. Colorado 32, Chicago White Sox 32, and then it's Seattle. So I think we think about Seattle's park as kind of a <clears throat> dampening thing. But also last year as well, T. Oscar's expected home runs in Seattle was 34. So his bat may just play favorably to that park. And he hits the ball extremely hard. So his power is not fringe by any means. I think he's still a 25 to 30 home run bat. I think he's going to have plenty of runs in RBI. I mean, he didn't even have a high total this year. Well, he did only have 535 plate appearances due to some injuries. Man, I think Seattle's line is going to be really good. T. Oscar's going to hit in the middle of it. He trended upward all season. He struggled out the gate. There were some injuries, and he finished really strong. So I'm buying all day. He fell to me at 99 in a DC. I was like, what are we doing here? So. Yeah. I was thrilled about that. I mean, I don't see any reason he should go that late, but I'll happily no. take him if the price is that cheap. Let's see. Where did he go in this current DC I'm in? I was looking at him at one pick, but he didn't follow me. I think he went in like the 80s, if I recall. I can't find it right now. But yeah, I, I'm not overly worried. I, I agree. I like to see it a lot of a lot. There is a lot of fluctuation with this lineup. I don't know how they're, you know, kind of the order breakdown. Like, if you trust roster resource, it has him hitting fifth behind J-Rod, France, Suarez, and Cal Raleigh. I don't know how much I believe Cal Raleigh being cleanup hitter on that team, but then you got Winker. Maybe he can bounce back. Who knows what you're getting from Jared Kalanick, and then it's kind of the Dylan Moore and J.P. Crawford types, but I think it's going to be a, yeah, pretty, at least a top half lineup. Maybe not like top five, but maybe like borderline top ten offense. A lot of power in that lineup. You realistically could have five, six guys hit 20 to 25 or more home runs in that lineup. But basically the top six or seven all have that potential. So it's going to be a fun lineup. And I don't think they're done making moves either. You've seen the Potos, you know, he seems like he gets the itch to make a trade every three days. So I'll see what else he's got up his sleeve here. But it's going to be a fun team. You add in all the pitchers they have. It's going to be a really fun team to watch. They were this year and looks like they're trying to kind of build off that success. But yeah, I'm not downgrading Hernandez what one bit with, with this deal here. Next guy on the list, Cody Bellinger was, I don't know, what, would you say it was surprising, Chris, that he was non-tendered? I mean, it kind of was, but also kind of wasn't. I don't know. It's just MVP three years ago, and yeah, his career's kind of taken a nosedive since then, but I thought the Dodgers kind of liked him internally, so it, was, it, it did surprise me a little bit that he got non-tendered. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think he needs a fresh start, so this is probably what he needed. I'll I think I'll take a shot on him late in drafts, depending on where he lands, just in hopes that there is a rebound because we have certainly seen what he's capable of during the MVP season. While I do think he overperformed a bit that year, 
That's beside the point. There's still talent there. There's power speed. I think he returned like $11 of value last year, even despite the poor season. So still a good fantasy value, I think. And maybe we get a lot more from him. So who knows? Like, yeah, it was a bit surprising. But at the same time, like the Dodgers just freeing up so much money to get really whoever they want, I think. So it'll be interesting to see who they go after this offseason, who they get. Because they can pretty much get anybody they want to. <laughs> I know. They've seen, is anyone surprised that they're now like, oh, there's interest in Aaron Judge? Of course there is. Like, they can get anybody they want to. They lose Trey Turner? Oh, no big deal. We'll get, like, two other guys to replace him. But even with Bellinger, though, I, you know, I even put out a tweet the other day that I kind of echoed a lot of what you just said. We're like, hey, he's been terrible. But is he as good as what he showed in 2019? No. Is he as bad as what he's shown in the last year or two? Probably not. It's probably some middle ground where he's, you know, not great, but maybe useful for fantasy. We've still seen this, still that little bit of power speed blend there. Maybe he's a, you know, 20 homer, 12 steel guy or something like that. Maybe he gets the average of 230, 240. That'll play. Uh, so, yeah, love to see a change of scenery with him. And that just shows, like, you know, I've, I've been one of the bigger you know, you know, negative people reg- regarding Bellinger. I've always been kind of been lower on him than most, but I'll take a chance on him. I'll take a chance on anybody at the right cost. Yeah. And that's just so I've gotten two shares of Monty this year because he's going. So I got him in a best ball and in the DC that we did out at, at FPAS. Like I'll take anybody at the right cost. Like there is a price for everybody in my head. And I don't know where, where is Bellinger going in early ADP? Is like, 250, I'd guess. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that was like 230 to 250. Let me get a quick little search here. Oh, 202. Okay. So right on pick 200, min 151, max 245. Okay. You know, 200, I don't know if I like him there. I want to see the landing spot first. But if he fell to me closer to 250, I could see taking that because as we talked about many times, this kind of mid range of outfielders is very. Meh, it's not a lot of exciting names, a lot of you know performance questions, injury questions, just consistency questions, you know, a lot of young guys in there that haven't proven themselves yet. So I could see taking him as I won't I wouldn't want him any higher than my outfield four, though. Probably more like my outfield five, but we'll see. But with him gone, we're assuming there's still a chance he can come back to the Dodgers, but we're gonna assume he's gone. He probably is. Trey Turner's on the way out the door. Justin Turner's probably out the door. They declined his qualifying offer as well. I'm hoping like this all this better mean. I don't even care where he plays. Obviously, third base would make the most sense. That's where he's, you know, his primary spot. But this better mean full time at bats for Miguel Vargas. Because as I tweeted the other day, if you get him as many at bats as Josh Young, you're getting Josh Young 100 picks later because he's going around like pick 330 and Young's going around like 220, 230. So I'm just hoping, Chris, that this opens up the door for Vargas to play full-time with the Dodgers. Yeah, my fear is just the Dodgers just buy whoever they want to. I mean, they're not going into the season with the lineup they currently have, like you, that you see on roster resource. Yep, the top three, top four is really good. And Betts, Freeman, Will Smith, and Max Muncy, depending on how you view Max Muncy, I guess. But then I don't see them going into next year with Trace Thompson as their everyday center fielder. I just don't no way. see that. Don't see them going into the season with James Altman in left field. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that, but hopefully Vargas does get third base. I, I feel like if any of them, Vargas does get the chance. Vargas has just proven it year over year. That he's more than ready. Yes, he wasn't great in his ta- first taste of the majors. I don't care. Like the talent level is still there. And I think that he's going to get every shot to to play. So, yeah, I, I'm banking on Vargas getting 500 to 550 plate appearances. I know that's not complete full time. But that's enough to provide fantasy value, especially where he's being drafted. Oh, for sure. I'll take that all damn day. And like I said, if he gets that many, you know, he, like I said, he's a later round Josh Young. I like Josh Miguel Vargas a, a teensy bit more than Josh Young. I like I like them both. I think I have Vargas as my 11th ranked prospect and Young 13th. They're only a couple of spots apart, somewhere in that range. So I do like Vargas a little bit more. But look, okay, if he gets the same number of play appearances, he's in a better lineup. Now, the Texas lineup is pretty solid, but yeah, I would I've been trying to scoop up Vargas all day, especially if you want to get that. Obviously, you don't want him as your starting third baseman, but 
you know, if you want to get an upside play for your, you know, a guy that you can have on the bench, maybe corner infield utility, whatever. He's a great target out there. You know, there's actually a lot of, we, we talked a little bit about some of the values in the Dodgers last week with Mike Carter on, on the pitching side, but I feel like, you know, I like Max Muncy this year a lot. You, you, met, you just mentioned him. He's going around, where is he? Is he still in that same spot he was? Yeah, pick 155 or so. He's at dual eligibility, second and third, which also means corner and middle infield eligibility as well. So that's great, great versatility there. Look at what Muncy did down the stretch the last two months of the year. He was back to the Muncy of old, hitting, you know, 240, 250 with a good on base and, you know, 30 plus homer pops. So, if you kind of miss out on like we talked about how second base and third base fall off incredibly quickly and you miss out on one of those two spots and you know, you're kind of in that 150 range and he's sitting there. I think that he's a great, great value. I think he could be closer to a top 100 player than where he's going now. So I like Muncie a lot. Yeah, I do too. I mean, we had to chalk a lot of it to injury last year and yeah, you know, he definitely picked it up down the stretch. Not great by any means, but he was better. And so, and, and that's my fear with, with Harper, even if he has the surgery, like it's the same injury, like, is it going to affect him at the plate all year? And so kind of circling back around, but yeah, I, I think Muncy's ready for a good season this year, fully healthy. For sure. And lastly, I guess we can do a little bit of Gavin Lux here. Do you have any interest? He's, you know, obviously probably the number one in-house option to start at shortstop if Turner does leave and they don't bring in, you know, a Dansby, a Correa, a Xander, whoever it may be. Where, do you want Lux at all? I mean, is he kind of just what he is at this point? That's where I'm kind of feeling him. Like, all right, he's decent average, maybe a little power and speed, but nothing that's going to be super impactful. Do you have any intrigue with Lux anymore, Chris? In, no, in, not really. In, not, what about the either any anywhere? <laughs> not just redraft. No, no, I don't think so. I I don't know. I, I you're right. I think he kind of just is is what he is, and I'm not sure. I see a lot of value for fantasy in his profile, and it's sad because man, he had that phenomenal minor league year, and I really thought that he was going to be a dude, and he's just just hasn't been that. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty out on him from from all standpoints. I am too. I mean, if I can get him for free, sure. I mean, he's still going to provide a little bit, but he almost looks a little bit like, like a young Chris Taylor now where he'll have some some months where he, you know, provides a bit more, but overall just could be kind of kind of mediocre, but always kind of like a low-end player. I think that's what he is now at this point. But to speak to what Chris was saying about, you know, the current Dodgers lineup compared to what it will be on opening day, obviously we have no idea what they're going to do, but right now they're five through nine according to the roster resource. Is Trace Thompson, Gavin Lux, Chris Taylor, Miguel Vargas, and James Outman in a platoon with Austin Barnes? That what? I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure what they're that uh, that must be a mistake. But still, is, like, is Barnes still there? I didn't know he was there. Oh, they love Barnes. I don't know why he's still there, but he, he is. But there's yeah, there is zero. Obviously, the one through four is Betts, Freeman, Smith, Muncy. There's zero chance that's their five through nine in opening day. Zero chance. You probably still see Lux and Taylor and maybe Vargas, but. Like they're not going to go into there. They'll probably maybe get a shortstop. Definitely will get an outfielder, at least one, maybe two, because their bench isn't that great either. Right now it's like Ryan Ward, Jacob Amaya. Like it's not that great. So they're going to make some moves. So don't expect this to be the Dodgers lineup on opening day. But I do like Muncy and not so much on Gavin Lux. He's just kind of meh at this point. He is what he is. All right. The last little bit of news here before we hit the break and we'll have some more news on the other side, but Cincinnati kind of did some a little bit of shuffling and moves that don't we, we don't really care about Kyle Farmer. Who cares about Kyle Farmer right now outside of deeper leagues? As he, he was okay last year. So, you know, best balls, DCs, sure. They brought in Kevin Newman I, just to get some depth. But I guess the guy here is the question mark or the intriguing player to talk about is Spencer Steer. Like, where does he fit in? You know, Spencer Steer is very underrated, I think. Like, he just doesn't get talked about in, you know, along with he's not an elite prospect. I don't go there, but he had a very good year last year in the minor leagues, hitting for a solid average, you know, good power, a little bit of speed as well. He can play multiple positions around the field. So where do you think he fits in, Chris, in the Cincinnati picture here? Well, I don't see him as a shortstop, honestly. No, so I don't either. That's not a major concern to me. The I guess the question is now that if they do play Newman at shortstop, 
then it probably shifts somebody else around and takes a batch from Steer. We know India is going to be at second base. I mean, you've got Moustakis penciled in at third, which... <laughs> yeah, until he gets injured in the third game of the year. Yeah, and that's probably the case. I I do think that Steer is most natural on either of the corners. So first or third. Votto's at first. I mean, I just can't imagine... Mustakis taking at bats from Spencer Steer, but who knows? I mean, I guess crazier things have happened, but I just see Steer getting a lot of reps at third base on this team. And who knows with Votto? I mean, Votto's how old at this point? 39? I think so, so yeah. He, he may not play every day. So Steer could see some time at first base as well. So there is some value, I think. Maybe he even gets some DH reps if Jake Fraley's not DHing. This lineup just has a bunch of question marks. And who even knows? But I do think talent will win out and Spencer Steer will get at bats in some form or another. I 100% agree. I'm not worried about him. I don't care that he's not projected to be a starter right now because, like you mentioned, there's so many questions here. Injury, even like Jonathan India at second base, where Steer has some experience there as well. India's had his share of injuries as well. There's not one guy in this lineup where you're like, all right, no worries whatsoever about him, whether it's playing time, uh, our injury concerns or performance. Every one of these guys checks off at least one of those three boxes. Most of them check off more than one of those boxes. Are we really expecting Kevin Newman to start the entire year? I don't expect that. So he probably won't have a locked in spot, but that might be good because he's going to have some pretty sexy position eligibility, whether it's like second, third and short, or maybe some first, maybe an outfield. I don't know. There's probably going to be multiple spots there, whatever it looks like, but I like Steer a lot. You know, just to mention what he did last year uh, in the minor leagues is, is between double A and triple A between you know, Minnesota and Cincinnati system. Came over in the, what deal was that, Chris? Was it the Molly deal? Yes. Yeah, the Molly. Slash 274, 364, 515, 30 doubles, 23 home runs. You know, walked over 10% of the time, and K rate was a little under 20%. So a lot of good stuff there. I think he'd be maybe like a 260, 270 hitter with you know 20 or so home runs you know 80 80 or so rbi 70 runs something like that i don't know it's hard to project those last two numbers but he's definitely in that with all the eligibility that he'll probably have he's gonna be a, a pretty valuable player so Sierra is a great late round target and especially in dc some best balls for sure let's go ahead and take a quick break though come back on the other side and get some more news and notes but first a word from our sponsor Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. So join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. And that's 20% off and free shipping worldwide using the code TOOLSHED and manscaped.com. As I mentioned, the Performance 4.0 package has arrived, and it is a game changer. Inside this package, you will find Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver ball deodorant, the Crop Reviver toner, the Performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer of the future of grooming, and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm blown away by the performance and the craftsmanship of, of this trimmer. Their fourth-generation trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, not to cut you, thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and has a 4,000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves. You thought that was good, but Manscaped wants to take your grooming game even further with the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides the same proprietary skin safe technology which helps reduce nicks snags and tugs in those delicate nose holes the crop preserver below the waist deodorant and the crop pre- crop reviver below the waist toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine and manscape will even throw in two free gifts for you in the package the manscape boxers and the shed travel bag so bring your comfort and your boxers to another level it's time to take care of yourself so go to manscape.com and get 20% off, plus free shipping, just using our code TOOLSHED. Welcome back from the break. All right, a few more news and notes here. 
The Yankees, a couple of re-signings there. Anthony Rizzo and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, both back in the Bronx here. Do we really care about IKF? No. Rizzo is a little intriguing for sure, and a little bit of a bounce back last year. It has some value as like a, you know, if you wait a little bit to get your quarter infielder, but this gives us an excuse to talk a little bit of, you know, Anthony Volpe, some Oswald Peraza. Now, with IKF re-signing, I don't think at first I was like, oh, they better not block Peraza, but I don't I don't think that's going to be the case. I think this is more like a depth move. You know, he's, he's a solid player to have. It was only like, what, six million dollars, I think, or something like that. So I think you're still going to see Peraza as the starting shortstop. But would you be surprised kind of like with the Dodgers, Chris? Would you be surprised if especially if they lose on judge, if they go out and get one of these big name shortstops? I think they could go out and get any of these four. I won't be surprised by that. So I guess, are you in the mindset that's on opening day for the Yankees in April? Is Ozzo Peraza going to be in that lineup, do you think? I think so. I don't think it's IKF. I, I just think yeah, that resigning them is, is bench depth type move. So I definitely think Peraza did enough in his debut and has shown enough throughout the minor leagues that he is more than ready to be their everyday shortstop. While they could go out and get somebody, maybe Prazas uses trade bait for a starter. I don't know. I mean, the rotation doesn't really need a starter unless they want to replace Domingo Herman in the fifth spot, but otherwise have pretty good depth. So it'll be interesting. I think that IKF is has no value for fantasy. And yes, I'm willing to take a shot on Peraza later in drafts. They actually there's a lot of fun young Yankee players right now that I'm looking to get some shares of this year, whether it's in, you know, standard redraft leagues or deeper best ball in DCs. Like I Peraza, I think is a great target. You've seen what he did in the minor leagues. Nice little power speed blunt. He went 1838 in 2021. Yeah. That was between uh, three levels, high A, double A, triple A end of the year. And then in 2022, yeah, the average and OBP went down a bit, but still went 1933. So, you know, I won't be surprised if this year he went, you know, 12 to 15 home runs, 20 plus steals. And you're getting that at, let's see, where was his ADP? Pick 391 right now. He has a range of about 270 to 470. So I would take that all day to get a, a potential 10, 20 guy with even upside for a little bit more in the Yankees lineup. I like Oswald, Oswaldo Cabrera. I guess he'd like the name Oswald, Oswaldo, <laughs> but Oswaldo Cabrera as well. He's going about 70 or so picks higher. About 320s in a cluster. You know, Garrett Mitchell's in that range. Bo Naylor. Some weird range. Jesse Winker's in there as well. Brendan Donovan. It's a very weird range right after pick 300. But if he can get a spot, and we've seen that he can play, you know, kind of all over the place. Maybe he's a super utility guy. He's got some intrigue as well. And then obviously Anthony Volpe at some point this year, probably midseason, starts at AAA more than likely, gets up there June, July. Let's see how he does in AAA. But there's a lot of intriguing guys here for the Yankees going late. And even Harrison Bader, I like a good bit. If he can stay healthy, he's shown a nice little power blend that you can get after pick 250 or so. Or where, where is – actually, he might be going earlier than that. Where is Harrison Bader going? He's going – oh, geez, 188. He's, he's kind of crept up a little bit there. but So maybe that's a little high for Harrison Bader given his health issues. But a lot of fun Yankees here, Chris. Yeah, I agree. All right, so last bit of news here. Tyler Anderson going from one L.A. team to the other, going from the good one to the not-so-good one. The one that has Trout and Otani, though, but not a lot outside of that. I don't like this move at all. I mean, I'm not... It was a head-scratcher for me. I mean, the Angels now have, I think, five of their six starting options are all lefties outside of Otani, I believe, I just don't get the move for them. I mean, it wasn't big money, three at 39, 2013 AAV, but Anderson has not been great outside of his one year with the Dodgers. And yeah, he has had some time in Colorado that definitely factored him, but he's, he's one from a guy that I kind of liked as like a SP five type guy. That was like I think in my ranks around like SP 60 to 70. I dropped him down a good 20 spots because, you know, Otani's Otani. He's a unicorn. He's, we know what he is. But outside of that, the Angels have kind of not done great with pitching development for a good long time now. So I don't want anything to do with Tyler Anderson anymore in any format. Yeah, I mean, we just, as you mentioned, the Angels, their pitching's I know their pitching was good, actually, down the stretch last year. Second half was really good. A little bit, yeah. 
But I don't know. I feel like Tyler Anderson was kind of in a void anyway at his price, the elevated price that I mean, he just wasn't going to repeat what he did last year. There's no way. The Dodgers have a special way with pitchers. So if they sign someone, like you should probably draft them. They're going to get a lot of wins. <laughs> Anderson's not going to get wins in LA, if we're being honest. And I think there's some major regression coming, not just because he moved teams, just because I think he overperformed a little bit last year. So I, I'm probably avoiding him at cost. I don't know what his ADP is off the top of my head, but I, I just don't see myself drafting him. Let's see. Tyler Anderson's ADP is 255, and I'm sure that's already gone down a little bit since the signing. It will probably keep t- trickling down to probably 275 range if I had to venture, yeah. I guess. But yeah, I don't even want him there. There's a lot more. Let's look at the arms in this like 250, 300 range. You got a little Cody Senga, Tim McLeod's boy there. I'd rather have him. Marcus Stroman. I'd probably rather have Stroman at this point. Uh, Urquidy. You got Michael Kopech. Little Ruanzi Contreras, Ranger Suarez, Hunter Brown, Tower Molly, uh, who else? Heaton Wesneski, Erod, Garrett Whitlock. Yeah, there's a lot of guys I just like either have more upside, better potential ROI, or just guys I feel safer about. So, yeah, I will not have, I probably wouldn't have had any of him anyway, but especially now, I don't want anything to do with him. But like you said, there was a little bit of success down the stretch for. The some angels arms like Jose Suarez had a, a nice second half of the year. Reed Detmers shown some intrigue. Sandoval actually had a sub three ERA, which is very surprising because I remember at one point he was I think above four, so he finished the year very strong. Any of these guys that you have intrigue in in 2023, Chris? Yeah, it's all going to depend on the price, I think. So not in particular, and it's it's such an interesting spot. Like as I've been doing these DCs, like looking at you know arms, obviously and where they're going, where the value pockets are. And I don't know. It's just like, it feels like this like 200, 300 range is like a, a weird spot, like where Anderson is going. So I don't know, like these other guys on the team, on the Angels, as you mentioned, like where are they going? I don't know. I mean, Detmers is one that I still think has another level, but I, I don't still know. Like, what are we going to get out of him? I guess is the question mark. Yeah, he's, he's got that next level, but he's also got a lower level, too, unfortunately. Yeah. Very inconsistent. So I just looked at his ADP is 225, yeah. and where was uh, Sandoval was 211. Which one would you rather have in that range? Sandoval I'm a little more comfortable with. Even I don't love him by any means, I'm a little more comfortable with that prize for yeah. him versus Demers. I think, I, I think I'd be there with you, so... I know Demers, he's always been intriguing, though, but this guy, I didn't, I just don't like him in this org. I think he'd be better off in another org, a better pitching. Like, imagine Detmers in the Dodgers org. Man, that would be very enticing. So, yeah, not a lot of angels I'm going to get on board with, just in general this year. Like, even on the hitting side of things, this, you see any, while we're on the angels here, you see any angels you're going after here? Like, I don't, you know, Gio Rochello, the new acquisition. He's blah. Rendon's always hurt. Taylor Ward might be the only guy where I'm like, you know, and O'Hoppy too. We've already discussed him, but probably Ward and O'Hoppy are the two guys that I'm like, you know what? Their value is pretty solid right now. I think that Luis Renjifo is going to be pretty underrated. That's Um, true, yeah. He finished the season really strong, and you can get him back in. I don't know where his ADP is, but I got him at like at the back end of the 200 range in a D.C., and he was really, really good in the second half this year. 12 home runs, three stolen bases. He only struck out 13% of the time. You know, puts a lot of balls in play. And, you know, his projections are interesting. He's only projected to play 115 games. But if he gets more than that, then I really think he could pop off. He's projected Steamer at 16 home runs, nine stolen bases. But that's only with 115 games. So I think the talent's there. Renjifo could be pretty interesting. Yeah, and he might lead off, too. Yes. Like, there's, there's not, like, that obvious leadoff option on this team. And if he leads off, that le- means he's leading off in front of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. So, yeah, he, he has, and he's another one of those guys, too, second and third. I love those guys. The flexibility, like I mentioned, also having corner and middle infield eligibility as well. You got to love that. Having those four spots you can you can throw him in adds a little bit of extra value. So, yeah, if he's like the leadoff hitter, you know, get in the spring training games. And he's hitting lead off a lot. That's going to be very intriguing. He probably is going to be the guy because 
do you see anybody on this you know roster that's gonna take spots from him? Like we're done with they still have David Fletcher, but I think even they're done with the David Fletcher experiment. You know, there's nobody else that can, you know, they don't have any prospects that are like knocking down the door either. A lot of their top guys who aren't even that great are in the lower levels. So yeah, unless they bring somebody in, I think it's Rangifo. Seems like it. spot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't see anybody else that fits it. So I, I think there's some value to be had there for sure. Absolutely. And that you kind of let us into our final segment here with mentioning Ringifo's steamer projections. We'll look at some interesting ones here with steamer being the first set of projections out ATC, the bat, all those aren't out yet, but steamer is, and there's some fun ones here. Chris, let's just start right at the bat. What was the most eye opening steamer production that you saw, whether it was good or bad? Probably Joey Manessis. He is projected for 29 home runs. 265 average, 93 RBIs, and 80 runs. Like, that's a lot. I think, I guess, the most eye opening thing is like he's projected for 662 plate appearances. Like, and maybe because, like, who else are they going to play? But gosh, it just doesn't feel like a case where Manessis is actually an everyday player and like that provides value for fantasy. I know he had a great season after being called up, but. I don't know. It just screams regression. And I'm just shocked based on the fact that we're looking at a 30 year old that will turn 35 to begin or 35, 31 to begin next season. <laughs> yeah, not 35. He's not skipping five years, but he, he's had 240 major league plate appearances. We're projecting him for 29 home runs. Like that one was the most eye popping to me. Yeah. And his ADP is actually right in the middle of the two angels. arms we just mentioned his ADP is 217 right now. I mean, he has dual eligibility first in outfield. That's nice, but I don't, I don't trust him in that range. If he was going, you know, 250 to 275, I might have some intrigue back there. But, and even if he does, you know, play the entire year and, you know, plays fairly well, that Nats lineup is not good. And it's not going to be good this year at all. So it's not going to be a lot of, you know, firepower around him, a lot of production. He'll probably hit in the middle of it. That's something at least. But, yeah, he's he's one where I'm not going to get any. If he's going, you know, in front of the, you know, 225 mark, he's not one that I'm going to have any shares of here. There are actually, you know, I've been coming combing through all of the projections kind of off and on here the last, well, it's been about a week or so since Seamer came out. Some fun ones here. I know I tweeted about one of them that if you extrapolate out, Vinny P's numbers to give him the same amount of plate appearances as the 2022 NL MVP Paul Goldschmidt. They'll have basically the same exact stat line. We've got Vinny P. They project him for slightly better slash line, same WRC plus, slightly better, you know, Woba, about the same amount of power and run production, even a little bit more RI. He's been one where I have him ranked fifth at this position, even ahead of Matt Olson, who I, who I do like, but. And maybe I'm I'm a little high on Vinny P and I love Vinny P, but I think we're in line for a huge, huge year for Vinny P. And I really hate that I have zero shares of him yet because this is the way my draft board keeps falling. Like the next round where I'm, I'm planning on taking him, he goes sooner, but he's going like around pick 90 or so. And I think that's even good value. I think some people have said like, oh, there's not a lot of, you know, ROI potential there. I disagree. I 100% disagree because if he's going to continue to put, Fourth, the offensive metrics that he has while well, we've talked about it that nauseum the contact the power the approach etc cetera, etc cetera. he could easily be easily be top 50 maybe even top 25 like if he's hitting 280 290 high obp 25 30 bombs i think can't see his lines to be sneaky good so a good amount of runs in rbi maybe combined you know 160 to 170 maybe a little more great obp like Obviously, there's no speed there, but I think he's going to be a absolute rock solid stud for four categories. Yeah, I think it's possible. I'm afraid the park limits some power. A little bit. But that doesn't change the fact that he still should be, a, like he's projected 24 home runs. I think 24 to 27 is certainly a fair place to put him. He makes elite contact, and that's a huge benefit. I mean, he hits the ball hard, great contact rates. You know, hits the ball on the line. You just look at the home run to fly ball rate after he debuted, and it was not good at 11%. He was historically higher. He has the power in the profile, but 
I don't know. It's a it's a weird spot for first baseman. Like he could, as you said, push up into that top tier, and he's going so much later. But I feel like if I miss one of the top three or four guys, I'm just gonna wait like past him. That that range where he's going offers some pretty good values in other positions, especially like in the pitching market. So like that's where I'm just typically going in drafts. So it's it just depends on how you want to build, I guess. But like I'm not just gonna go out of my way to get him in every every draft at that spot. Right. And, and that's a good point too, because I think that's probably why I have missed out on him so far, despite being very high in him, is that that's a range where you mentioned there's a lot of good pitching values there. And I'm usually trying to get an outfielder on that range as well, because after that outfield drops off into that dreaded mid round outfield tier that we've talked about a lot on the show as well. So a secure like a Brian Reynolds or a Tyler O'Neill or Eloy Jimenez, something like that in that range. So that's probably why I've usually been missing out on him or getting like a Zach Gallon or a Joe Musgrove or someone like that. Really like, you know, that, that value for him. And I think he's going to be an, an absolute stud, like I said, and looking, I just pulled up his home road splits. He actually was much better at home than on the road last year at home. And granted, there's only 127 play appearances. So take it with a grain of salt, but 318, 417, 551 slash. That's a 233 ISO seven doubles and six home runs. That was 32 games. So for what, for what it's worth, he was better at home. So I don't know if they'll limit it too much. Yeah. It's not the greatest park. It's not also, it's not Comerica either. So I, I'm not overly worried about that, but yeah, I think he's still a great value here. Another name here, the one that you, you put down here that you noticed, uh, this guy was the number three catcher in terms of auction value was Alejandro Kirk. I like it though. I think we were both pretty big Alejandro Kirk guy, especially if he, Toronto's been rumored to be wanting to trade a catcher, whether that's him. Well, it probably, do you think it is him? If one catcher goes, it's probably Kirk, right? He's probably kind of the oddball out, even though he's the best hitter of the bunch. I think I, I would love for him to move, honestly. Like, such a log jam. And I think one way or another, he's going to benefit because one less person in town, whether he goes somewhere, or he stays, and somebody else is traded. But it does seem likely that somebody's on the move. I think it could be Kirk. And, the projections love him. I mean, 286 average, 372 OBP, Steamer has been 19 home runs. Some good value there at the catcher position, I think. And he's not going that high in drafts, so you can get him and potentially get a pretty good return on investment. Right. Let's see, right now he's going at pick 105. And again, this is two catcher format, so I guess push up a little bit. In single catcher leagues, he's probably gonna go, you know, 125 in that range. The one rumor I heard the other day that I hated, Paul Spore loved it and wanted to make that move right then and there. He's a Tigers fan, but it was Kirk going to Detroit for like Gregory Soto and some some other piece, couple other pieces. I would hate that. That would, that would we uh, we we talked about Camerica a lot here. I don't think it would hurt him too much, but I don't know where he he's going to go. Who needs a catcher? We'll see. But yeah. Kirk is a guy just in general, whether even if he doesn't get traded, I'm very high on Kirk because he's one of, the, one of the best pure. He might be the best pure hitting catcher in baseball. And that includes Adley Rushman. Like he might be the best pure hitting. Obviously, Adley has more power than Kirk does, but and he's much better defender, obviously. But he's one of the better pure catchers or pure hitting catchers in baseball. Like, and you can kind of pencil in for 280 plus and 15 to 20 bombs and some solid counting stats, too. So. Yeah, I think Kirk's a great value. Again, I don't have any shares of him. Do you have any shares of Kirk yet, Chris? I don't. No, I've yeah. And, and DC's typically getting an early catcher. So I ended up with Will Smith in one. And this one I'm in right now, I got Dalton Varsho in the late fourth round. So yeah. uh, and then typically, like, yeah, I'd love to have a second catcher like Kirk, but I just haven't been paying the price. So no, I, I will get some shares, but I haven't yet. I haven't yet either. I've been trying to go that route, getting the early catcher. Hasn't quite worked out yet. So I've been kind of getting, you know, I've been aiming more like the William Contreras range, but I'll probably get some Kirk shares at some point, but we'll see. All right. What's an, what's another, we have some short steps on here, some corner infielders, a couple outfielders. What's another steam reduction that kind of stood out to you, Chris? Oh, Tatis's is just otherworldly. Like, Projecting him in just 552 plate appearances, but 37 home runs, 20 stolen bases, 92 runs, and 94 RBI. And he's not going in the first round of most drafts, but that's like 
number one overall type player. If he hits 283 with those counting stats over 550 plate appearances, like, I mean, we know what he's capable of. We saw it in 2021 in 546 plate appearances. He hit 42 home runs, stole 25. So the projections are pretty conservative based on what he has been able to do. I guess the question is, like, how healthy is he going to be? He's had all kind of injuries stuff going on on top of the PED suspension. So, in in all honesty, though, man, if he's going late second round, how do you pass that up? Like, the projection is just insanely good on Tatis. I almost took Tatis early second in my DC that I'm currently in. 14th pick, 15 teams, obviously. I took Machado at 14, and I was debating. I ended up taking Vlad Jr., at 17, but I was seriously debating going Tatis there. And he went one pick later to our good buddy, George Montanez, who I was texting with. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I was picking between him and Vlad too. So you made my decision easier, but yeah, he is very, very intriguing. Obviously. I think I have him in my personal rankings right around that 16, 17, 18 range or so. And we've seen like, he's like the one guy that can be either number one overall or miss the entire year. And he's done that the last two years. He's number one overall in 2021, missed off 2022. So what do you get out of Tatis? But he's only going to miss around, I think it's 20 or 21 games, something like that. So you'll get at least 140 kind of potential games. Obviously, we can't pencil him in for anything, anything really. You just get what you get from him, but... Yeah, with a guy that could be first-round talent and has been a first-round talent in just 125 games or whatever it was last year, or 2021, that's very intriguing there. So I hope I will get a share of him. If I have like a mid-first-round pick, so I can get more like the second-round pick in like the 22-23 range or so, and he's still there, I'll absolutely scoop him up because I think that's going to be great value for him. And another one here, sticking with San Diego, the number one player projection for... WRC plus and Woba. I know those aren't fantasy categories, but Juan Soto, like I tweeted out, it's almost like we shouldn't, you know, discount a generational talent too much for a bad few months. Like last year, it was a you know a down year for him. He still had an OBP over 400. Look at what he has for for 2023 projections: 33 home runs, 113 runs, 95 RBI, 282, 431, 530 slash line. And if he's playing 150 games like they have him playing, which is, I think, fair, 113 runs. If, if you get a full year behind him of Machado and Tatis, I'll bet every damn penny I have he scores more than 113 runs. Just if he has a 431 OBP like, they, like they're projecting, like I think you're going to have a huge year from Juan Soto. Like first, you know, going over from a team he's never he's been he was with the Nats since he was 16 years old. Like I think that doesn't get brought up enough that he was so comfortable so used to that system of the people around him he was there for what seven what seven years or so to go to san diego a team in a push of completely opposite coast of the country very different market san diego compared to dc i think that kind of doesn't get talked about enough so yeah i think he was gonna struggle that much no but am i discounting him at all for what he did last year not one bit so I've already got him, you know, in a couple of leagues, and I'll keep drafting. If he keeps falling past pick ten, I'm in on Soto all damn day. Yeah, I think that he's becoming a good value. Where'd you get him in the F pass one twenty one? Twenty one, which it doesn't, sh- it won't show up as the. Let's see, what's the current max pick on Juan Soto? It is fifteen. Yeah, no, I have the max pick. It doesn't show up because our draft isn't finished yet. We did the first 23 rounds. We're finishing the last 27 rounds in January or whatever it is. So I have the max pick right now. Pick 21. I think I want Mookie. Yeah, I want Mookie to start that. I picked 10, I think it was. So, yeah. Soto. I'm stuck Soto at 10. I was bidding between Mookie and Soto at 10. I ended up going Mookie. And I was beside myself when Soto was still there at pick 21. So, yeah. I don't. Don't hesitate to take Juan Soto. I mean, he's still one of the best hitters we've ever seen. So I'm not worried one, one bit at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. A couple other shortstops here that we have on here. Jeremy Pena and Dansby Swanson. Those are pretty intriguing there. What caught your eye about those projections, Chris? Just the dollar value on both being pretty low, like below Nico Horner for one. And so then I was kind of looking at the projections. and I was like, all right which would I rather have? Because I know Swanson's going much higher. Here's Pena's projection. He's projected 247 average, 23, ho- sorry, 24 home runs, 10 stolen bases. 
76, 75 on runs and RBI. Dansby's is probably going to change. We don't know where he's going to be, but his is very similar at 247. So the same batting average, 21 home runs, 13 stolen bases, and 76, 73 on runs and RBI. So I guess Swanson's question is, where is he playing? I'm pretty confident, as I said in the last episode, he's not going to be in Atlanta. So his park, I guess, does matter, and the team that he goes to does matter. But if I had to guess, these two are pretty far apart in ADP, and the overall projections are very similar. And actually, I'd argue a little more favorable to Jeremy Pena. Is the truest play that's more of like a neutral park, though, right? Yeah. There's no like heavy swing either way, right? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty neutral. That's kind of what I was thinking. Obviously, Pena in Houston, obviously, is great for righties. So, right. I, I like him a lot. I think looking at, obviously, I have Dansby ahead in my shortstop rankings, but if you compare at cost, like Dansby right now is about 74, which I think is a fine ADP. Uh, I would have no issues taking him there if, if I wanted to go short up in that range. But then Jeremy Pena is at 115, so about 40 picks later. He's kind of in that next tier of shortstops along with the likes of Carlos Correa. Ahmed Rosario is in that range. He's in that last range of shortstops I would want as my, or I'd be, I'd be okay with as my starter. Because then you got another pretty big drop-off in ADP down to Nico Horner, who I like, but that's my starter. You know, Javi Baez, you know, guys like that. It kind of falls off pretty – Jorge Mateo, which I still have no idea why he's going top 200. If we not see – obviously, he's got a little power speed, but, man, have we not seen what he's like the last, you know, five years or so? But anyway, yeah, Pena, I think, is a great value. He's one of the better values at shortstop because he, in terms of just looking at just shortstops, See, he's coming off the board as the shortstop 14, right between uh, Willie Adames, who's going about 15 picks higher, and Correa is about half a round lower. So I think that's great value there. If you're going to get, like you said, those projections where you know he's right around 25-10 with a solid average and 150 or maybe even a little more runs than RBIs combined, at pick 115, that's great value there. So I think when it comes down to at cost, I'll take Pena there. And I like William Adames in that range too. Obviously, he's you know got more of an all-or-nothing guy at this point, but the power, you can get 30-plus home runs, a lot of RBI, a good amount of runs in that Milwaukee lineup. So I like Adames there as well. Those are probably the two guys that have the best values, I think. You get in the, those guys past pick 100, I'm pretty high on both those guys personally. Yeah, I agree. All right, a few more here before we get out here. We got some... Yeah, Whit Merrifield is on here. Jose Miranda, Cia Suzuki, Jake McCarthy. Which one do you want to tackle there, Chris? Jake McCarthy. It's been an interesting whirlwind of my thoughts about McCarthy because <laughs> I know dude, you you've been like battling with yourself on you know whether you like him or not. <laughs> yeah, and really the biggest holdup is is the playing time, and we've seen the skills and. They were on full display last year. He had eight home runs, 23 stolen bases, and 354 plate appearances. You know, good average as well. So I guess the biggest question I had was, would he play? And I talked to somebody who worked within the org, and they said they saw McCarthy as an everyday player. Like That's how the org values him, which was a reason that I was willing to jump back in because the projections are good. I mean, 15 homers, 28 stolen bases, 258 average, like, and outfield's bad. Outfield's terrible this year for fantasy. So if you can get him around pick 150, I feel pretty good as long as he's playing every day. It seems to me that Alec Thomas is the one on the way out. That's kind of yeah. my perception. They brought in Kyle Lewis. I mean, Kyle Lewis just can't <laughs> stay healthy. That was the biggest kind of like whatever deal. Cooper Hummel for Kyle Lewis. Like it's just like whatever on both sides. Yeah, I remember when Kyle Lewis was rookie of the year. Like that's. Seems like a distant memory. What year was that? Like 20, 2020. It was a shortened year. Was it 2020? I thought yeah. it was like 2018. But it know, does feel like right. forever ago. I know. This is, it feels like he's been around forever, but it's only been a few years. But Right. That's crazy because, yes, it was 2020. And I don't even know what happened. Like, it just seems like that was so long ago. He's just still only 27. But I'm just not sure Lewis can stay healthy enough to impact. If Thomas ships out and you have an outfield of McCarthy – Varsho and Carroll every day. I mean, it that's, seems like McCarthy's going to get the run. That's a pretty fun outfield. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. A lot of little power speed blends there. What was Corbin Carroll's projection was 
pretty low. I think it was like 1914 hitting like 230 something. I got Carroll in, in of my actual leagues that I've drafted, not not counting mocks. I've gotten him in two out of three leagues so far, uh, including this DC that I'm in. I got him in like pick 77 or whatever it was. So I'm pretty, I, I think Carroll was fine there. But going back to, I think we had this discussion a month or two ago. Let's, let's revisit it real quick. You don't have to give a lot of insight, but you're on the clock. Stephen Kwan, Jake McCarthy, who are you taking? You still going Kwan? I think I think Kwan was your answer last time. Kwan was my answer. Yeah, it's, it's, depends, it's still pretty close. It depends on how I've built so far, I guess. I mean, I think that McCarthy's going to give you a little bit of edge and power and speed, and Kwan's going to give you the little edge and batting average. So at the end of the day, it's probably how my team's built so far. I think Kwan's going to score a lot of runs. I think McCarthy's probably pretty the type's gonna be pretty even run RBI type, and Kwan's gonna not drive in many at all. So I hate to cop out and say it based based on the team build, but I do think it is pretty close, and it, it's how you've built a team so far. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. I guess to end it, did you see Acuna's question, Chris? I haven't looked at it, but I think that he's pretty high. Slash line, 271, 368, 489, but 111 runs, 82 RBI, 31 home runs, and 36 steals, and that's the most, uh, the highest stolen base projection mm-hmm. ahead of John Birdie, Mateo and Mullins are the other three that are over 30 steals. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's still 29 last year coming off a torn ACL and not playing every day. So who's to say he won't steal that many And the power, I think returns. I, I, I think the injury was easy to chalk that up to. It's hard to get that, the power with your back leg pushing like it was and with a torn ACL and, yeah, you know, whether they were willing to say it or not, I think they pushed him back early. And hundred percent, they did. And then because of that, he had other injuries. Just like it's just the, how the body works. Like one part of his body wasn't fully healthy, and other other parts of his body suffered because of it. It's a physical game. You saw him, yeah. And people, I mean, pick at him for loafing or whatever you want to call it, being lazy. But it's going to take time for him to be comfortable in the field again after what he did. I mean, towards yep. ACL in the field. So yeah, I, I know. Mean, Hundred percent. There's that mental aspect again. Like you always yeah. have the, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Like you know, whether you're like in a car. I remember I had a car accident when I was know, 19 or so, and it was at a, a place where I drove a lot. I kind of can correlate because you know Acuna tore in the outfield, a place where he is a lot for his job. And anytime I drove by that spot, I kind of had like that, I don't know, a little bit of hesitancy or that feeling. You know, yeah. like there's always that, that little bit, that little nugget in the back of your mind. So I'm um, sure it's the same for him too. So yeah, I'm. That's why I, I have him. I might go one one with him. I still go Trey Turner, but he's right there. I think he's it's a three person kind of race for that one pick. You can go Turner, fine. You can go Joe Ram, fine. You can go Cunha. Uh, I won't be you know upset with any one of those three. Uh, a couple other just really fun ones. While I'm looking at, I started at my stolen bases. Bobby Wood year twenty six twenty seven. You got J Raw thirty two twenty five. You got Michael Harris twenty two twenty, which I feel is a little low, but. Kyle Tucker, 34-19. O'Neal Cruz, 27-19. What's the other one here I saw? I didn't think that was it, but yeah, a lot of of fun names there. Do you think anything else that stands out here to you in Steam Projections, Chris? No, I think the Bobby Witt one's interesting. People have been kind of dogging on for being drafted so high. But there's, I mean, the power speed element's certainly there. So he's one that could provide plenty of return on investment. I mean, Jazz... 28 26 like that's fun he's got to stay healthy and if so like i i really believe in the upside of jazz and I, there was an interesting debate about i think i saw on twitter who was the top who would you rather have in dynasty i guess jazz or, or albies it's funny how quick people have jumped off the, the albies train like he just went 30 20 in 2021 and people are just jumping off left and right and he's 25 years old so he's still only 25 i thought he was like 27 at this point yeah, 25 which is crazy so I mean, in, in 2021, Albies went 30-20 with 103 runs, 106 RBI. And, I mean, you can live with a 260 average because everything else was so good. Right. Last year think, wasn't good, but... Yeah. I think people look at the, you know, recency bias. It, it goes into him as well. Like, people look at... Miss, missed so much time when he was on the field. He wasn't great, but they kind of forget that he was very, very consistent. Kind of like that 25-15-ish mold for you know almost half a decade before there that so at least a few seasons so yeah i think he's gonna be absolutely fine he's still gonna be a top 50 maybe a top 25 player and we'll probably see him you know have an adp about 10 15 picks higher so i think he's gonna be completely fine next year but yeah 
Google it. So if Albies follows you, he's been going a lot in the pick 40 to 50 range. I almost took him in my DC. I ended up going Jose Tuve, but it was an internal struggle between those two. I sat on that for a few minutes, but that was at pick 44, I believe it was, which I think is where his ADP is. But if he falls in that range, I'm all over Ozzy Albies in 2023. And he's a great buy low dynasty as well. All right, that is going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris at Roto Clegg. I'm Eric Cross04, and our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. Yeah.